Now from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Hello, uglies, and welcome to a special Boulet Brothers Dragula Resurrection episode of Creatures of the Night. Swan, how are you doing on this dreary autumn day? I am doing pretty well. I think that Resurrection has been out in the world now, and we've successfully saved Halloween. Uh, you know, the, the reaction to the show has been everything we could want and everything we could ask for. And now I'm just facing that demon that I think everyone's been facing all summer long, which is the long game with COVID and sort of like this existential dread that's like seeping over my daily life because the project is over. And now I'm like, what do we do? Well, I think you could still be enjoying the afterglow of it because the reviews are still coming out and they're great. I'm super happy about it. I mean, you must be thrilled too, right? No, totally. I mean, I think uh, producing several seasons of the show has taught us that you always kind of take the good with the bad. You know, you have a lot of people that love what you do and, and praise you for your art and what you create and what you bring into the world. But then, you know, you can kind of invariably count on some detractors, right? Yeah. You can't please everybody. But with... Uh, the Dragula Resurrection Project, I mean, is it kind of like the spell breaker? Because it has been overwhelmingly almost 100% positive. Yeah, I was really surprised that there's not, you know, there's always a few voices that dissent, but it's been really supportive the whole time so far. And I, I was really surprised, and I know everyone on the team as well was, that it was trending on Twitter the night of the release, (laughs) which for us is a new thing. You know, our content is very subversive. And while it is very successful, that is a big step to me to see it trending on Twitter like that. So I was very happy about that. Thank you, everyone at home who has watched it. And if you haven't watched it, you need to go and do that right now. So as listeners may or may not know, today we're going to be joined by our nearest and dearest cohorts, our three co-producers of the Belay Brothers, Dragula. But before we bring them in, there's a couple of things we want to cover first. Mm. Now we get a ton of books, movies, clothes, candles, all sorts of things here at the office for companies um, that want us to review their items and the things that they make and they want to push. And I wanted to take a moment just to go through some of those and give them a little bit of love. Um for some of the items that stuck out to us. Uh, First, there's a few interesting literary offerings out now that I think would be worth people checking out. We're getting into the holiday season and people are going to start slowing down a little and I think it could be a great time to put down your phones and catch up on some reading. Yeah, and the first item is a new horror-themed comic anthology called Razorblades, the Horror Magazine. And it's essentially a queer-centric horror anthology co-created by James Tenyon IV and Steve Fox. And it's perfect reading for this season. Um, New issues are out every three months and are available digitally for whatever price readers want to pay, which I think is pretty interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, and that's uh, at readrazorblades.com. It has a really gritty indie feel to it, and it's definitely worth checking out for those of you interested in comic books or graphic novels. Which we are interested in both. And on that same kind of indie note, our next suggestion is a collection of short queer-themed horror stories called The Other Side of the Closet. 
It's a book that explores the real life nightmares of the LGBTQIA plus community through a bloody and morally twisted lens, including a random hookup gone wrong, a gay bar haunted by a dead drag queen. I can totally relate to that. A demented family reunion and a couple who can't let go. It's written by a new author by the name of Patrick Kane, and you can get it on Amazon now. Um, It's an easy read and definitely fun if you're into queer horror. And last but not least, I want to talk about the goodies that we got from Cakeworthy, right? Those were pretty, we got a set of, it was kind of like a, like a, what would you like a horror themed pajama set and like some flannels with Frankenstein on. They were really cool. They were totally cool. I want to talk about the the flannels because they can be worn as is or like a throw over if you have like a t-shirt on underneath. The weather is getting colder, so it's kind of perfect timing, but you know, kind of like reds and greens or whatever kind of like colors for the fall but it was the back that had the print of like classic universal monsters and i think we got the dracula one and there's a frankenstein one i just think they're kind of perfect for horror fans they're cool and uh i kind of kind of can't wait to wear them yeah it was one of the things that caught my eye from this recent like volley of of items that we got and i feel like especially with everyone staying home during covid so much like it's things like that kind of make you feel like you're still in the spirit of the season. For so, sure, for sure. Uh, I'm into that. But I also want to say we want to give listeners their first reading assignment on this episode. We are adding a literary section to the podcast, and we'll be reading and discussing Stephen King's Children of the Corn as our first book. So start reading it, and we'll check back in about a month, and we'll all talk about it together. It should be fun. All right, and on that note, I think it's time to welcome this episode's special guests, while most people think of us when they think of the Boulay Brothers' Dragula, there are three other members of our coven that are integral to everything that happens with the show. And they've been with us basically since day one. From producing, directing, casting, and editing, these three are the lifeblood of the show, and I'm excited to finally have them on. Please welcome supervising producer Ian DeVogler. Hey, ladies. How are you? Very good. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you for asking. No stranger to the show. Um, Please welcome director Nathan Noyes. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's great. Great to have you here, too. And finally, senior story producer Casey Lindley. Hey, guys. How's it going? Really good. Fantastic. Great. So I want to start by catching up our listeners on your history with the show. So you have all been with the show since day one, and you've seen it grow from just an idea we had to what it is today. And back in the beginning, we would always tell you guys that we wanted to take it here and beyond. How does it feel coming from where we started to having the show be on Netflix and now a spinoff on Shudder? Uh, well, I guess I'll start. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, it seems like yesterday we were under the avocado tree, as we like <laughs> to say, in our, in our very first meeting talking about, uh, you know, what what could be. And, you know, it's strange because you know, we evolve with the show over the years. It's not a, it's definitely not a sudden change. So, you know, I think being here and having, having our show on Netflix on shutter is, I mean, it's a dream come true, but it it also, it, it feels like, I don't know, deserved or earned. We've been through really the gauntlet. For sure. No, absolutely. I I feel that way too. I think that we've all sweat through the hard times and, you know, there's glory moments, but we've learned kind of like the hard way, I think. And like the fans kind of reflect when they see new seasons or the special, the show just continues to grow. It continues to get better because we, we continue to keep the work in our focus. We work hard to make it what it is. Yeah. 
What do you think, Casey? I mean, I feel like sometimes it's hard to like relish in our accomplishments because I'm like, we made this checklist. You know what I mean? Like, we want it to be on YouTube, then we want it to be on a network, then we want it to be on Netflix. So when it happens, it's almost like this was all a part of the plan. You know what I mean? Right. So it's it's it, I can't get in that mindset of like, wow, this is so crazy because it's not crazy to me. Like. We did it. We right. worked towards it. And like this, this has always been the goal. So like we shouldn't be shocked when we like start checking off the boxes, you sure. know? Yeah. But you know, so many people, especially in Hollywood, try to do things like this. Mm-hmm. And we all have friends that like still to this day, you know, we're very fortunate that it's worked out. And I don't know, to me, sometimes, and it's hard, like you said, to step back and look at it. But when I do step back, I'm like, oh my God, it worked, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I kind of feel like this was maybe the first time that I felt like, oh my gosh, we did it. Like even when it went on Netflix, like, you know, the Boulets, you guys know, we were in Boston when it happened. It just popped up on Netflix. We're like, oh my gosh, here it is. And it was really cool, but I don't think we got to really celebrate as a team versus with this, it's kind of like, we are on Shutter. We have this big push, and it just feels right. It feels good. I'm like, this is exactly what we deserve, honey. <laughs> I think so too. Did it's you guys? True. Did you guys ever doubt? Were you ever like, this isn't going to work, or we're not going to get there, or do you feel like you've bought it the whole time? I've told you guys this before. I mean, I feel like you know, it, this is the first project I've ever worked on that. I guess when you know, you know. I feel like I always had the sense that, you know, as hard as we're working as as, you know, intense as the process is, I always kind of knew in the back of my mind or in my heart or whatever you want to call it that, you know, we would we would end up where we are now and, you know, definitely where we're going, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, it just kind of always felt like it was supposed to be I never doubted it. I feel like I, there are people in my family who they mean well, but you know, you constantly get those kind of people being in your ear saying, you know, oh, this is cool. You know, when are you going to do something else? Or, you know, what, yeah. like, what, like, what is the next step for you? And I've always said the next step is the next step of the project. Like I believe in this. It's we're, we're doing something great. And like you said, Drac, there are people who work their entire lives to get a fraction of what we've been fortunate enough to work so hard to achieve. I mean, holy shit. Like, I, I don't know. I've always said we are going to be, we're going to be huge. We're going to take over the world. Yeah. I think it's because everyone like mm-hmm. believed in it so much. So I think like the, the team that we had and you guys just like always like having such strong faith in it and like it's, it's contagious and that made me want to work harder. And I think all of us work harder and I'm glad it, we're where we're at. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm going to agree. Like, well, I want to say a few things too. That that's why uh, we describe you guys as like the other three cohorts in our coven because it really does kind of take that focus you know and i think that um people do struggle to do it maybe their whole life but it's part of the reason why i think success is ours because we work really hard for it we believe in it we trust each other and we're just just really just getting started so the show is super brutal on the whole crew but i think the five of us especially especially (laughs) go through it so what has kept you guys going all these years and what keeps you coming back for more? Like, cause I know there's moments where it's like physically, mentally, spiritually, we're toast. It's like, you don't have any more to give and yet you do. So how does that happen? I think for me, um, it started in theater. Like I loved bringing characters to life and telling character stories. And for some reason I feel like I am like obligated to tell someone's story and 
it, it's my drive. I feel like no one else is going to have a chance to like hear their story or tell their story. And I want to do the character justice. And I want to make sure that these queer stories are told because when people watch the show, they get something out of it, you know, and every story is different. Sometimes you may not relate to this person's story, but another person's story means the world to you. And I think if my job, if I can just tell each story correctly, then it has a bigger branch on who it can relate to and who it, it affects. And that's what keeps me going is at the end of the day is just being like, I have to tell this story to to justify this this character and tell their story because it, it's just important to tell stories. No, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense too. And you're you're really good at it. And it's one of the things that people compliment the show and specifically the the resurrection project because the the characters and their stories are so intimately told and it resonates with like an on an emotional level. Even for me, like I know when we all sat down and watched it like maybe the first time in the final cut. I was kind of taken aback by how emotional the sort of the apex of the show really is. Like tons of people were like crying and stuff. I'm like, Casey, you've done, you've done your job. Uh, I mean, <laughs> editing it, I, I cried like 90 times. I was like, I can't keep editing this section. It's so sad. For me, I would say there's a couple of things. One, I feel like I was, I was always raised to be a super hard worker. Like I'm a workaholic. I'm a little bit of a masochist. Like I enjoy that kind of grind. Um, and you know, being on a team where we all uplift each other, like even when it is the hardest day and there are always really hard days, like you can always like turn to someone else on the team and be like, this fucking sucks. This is really hard. And that person will be like, well, yeah, but get the fuck into it. (laughs) But I also, I think that, you know, I was, I was talking to my mom and and she was like, well, are you going to be happy when the special comes out? I was like, absolutely. I can't wait for the special to come out, but this is just the next step. This is the beginning. And what keeps me going is saying, this is so cool. Okay, what's next? Like, how can we how can we grow? How can we keep doing more? Because I just I love it. I love our show. Yeah, I'm, you know, when I first moved to LA, I I worked a couple like nine to five cubicle office jobs. And uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh, man, uh, I was I was I was so miserable doing that. And, uh, you know, when we first when we had our first meeting, we first started shooting Dragula, you know, I think I, I just get off on this on the like, subversive nature of what we're doing i think i even told swan you know when we were rolling up on the train tracks during dragula resurrection for uh loris's vampire you know i was like you know i i truly believe that i have the best job in the world (laughs) you know what i mean like who else can say that you know we're you know pulling up in the dead of night cameras audio you know music we have this you know bitch dressed like a vampire she's crawling (laughs) on the train you know it's just like so i think it's so rare that your 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 dream project your passion project becomes you know your actual job and I, i i just feel lucky to do it and i think that's what's you know what keeps me coming back for more could you say that that might be like maybe the most surprising thing about being involved with the Dragula project in general that kind of like your dream job has like sort of manifested and like you get to do crazy things like go into the train yard and and film a vampire with music blasting and like you know that's just one of like so yeah many absolutely challenges. yeah getting to do these crazy things it really does make quote work feel fun like I don't know anyone else who I remember in season one I was literally sitting in my car with like a list of 10 butcher shops like I have to find brains for this <laughs> extermination if I don't find them that's not happening so I'm like calling like hey do you sell brains and it's like you know you pan back and you look at your life and you're like what the fuck but the thing is not everyone's cut out for this either as totally. you you all know too it's like this is 
indie filmmaking 101. Like if you, this is what it is. It's brutal. It's like what you said to Madeline. This is what we do. This is the show. And not everyone's cut out for it. You know, some people just can't handle that. But it's like for us, I think all of us share that is that we have a passion for it and it's rewarding. And that's what makes us do the shit that we probably shouldn't be doing. Totally. (laughs) Speaking of, I want to move on to Casey specifically uh, every year we go into production, your husband, Adam, books some kind of bullshit tropical vacation yeah. and demands that you go right before the project is done. Why do you think he keeps doing that? And do you think he will ever stop? Wow. I, <laughs> I honestly don't think he will ever stop. <laughs> and it sounds like so like white bitch, like typical, like I have to go on this vacation, but like, I literally will. I'm just like, we do not need to go skiing in Aspen. <laughs> It sounds so so, like privilege as fuck, but it's just like, he, yeah, he loves to travel. He he definitely grew up with a silver spoon and I grew up with like a hot spoon. (laughs) (laughs) A plastic spork, perhaps. Yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah. Do you have fun or are you like stressed out the whole time when he makes you do this stuff? I am very like stressed out. Like this past one, I was like, I feel one, I feel like I'm letting the team down. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I just like cut and dry. I was like, bye bitches. Like I'm going skiing in Colorado and like with like resurrections, like two weeks from like airing, you know? <laughs> and then like part of me is like also like on the plane in my hotel room, still editing. And then like Adam's mom is like, let's go on a hike. I'm like, uh-uh, not today. You know, like I can't. <laughs> But I, I got it done. Not tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hate to think of you crying as you're going down the ski slope, but I guess it's the territory. Yeah, it's a joke, but <laughs> sure. It actually makes me feel a little bit better when I think of Casey crying on the slope oh while we're God. in LA finishing. <laughs> well, steaming up the goggles. Yeah. I want to move on to something a little more serious and something I've been dying to know forever. And this is to Nathan. Um, in season three, episode four, which is the D and D challenge, Madeline Hatter had a total meltdown on set, as we all know. And normally, Ian or one of the other producers would step in and deal with her. But somehow, in the middle of the D and D arena, you ended up being the person to square off with her and do battle. And I just, <laughs> I've always wondered, like, how did that happen, and what inspired you to step up and take the dragon's flames? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, well, as we all know, I, I think that day D and D was a strange day you know i think up until the 60 percent mark we were on schedule the weather was great you know things were going you know well and then judgment came around we were filming judgment and a hurricane or a tornado whatever it was (laughs) rolled in you know you know ian standing on a ladder like we're all doing our best to keep it together and then you know madeline you can you can see her on the monitor just disintegrating internally (laughs) and you know she walks off and you know in that moment I feel like I just had to god nobody I feel like nobody could really get through to her in that moment and you know she was she was battling me and all I could really say was like you know you know you technically you signed up for this yeah. and you kind of just have to, in your own words, take two shots of tequila and get the fuck into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it, it's just crazy. Cause I think everybody has their, their own breaking points. And I guess, you know, she had really taken a beating, you know, uh, up until that point. And it wasn't until we were gonna, you know, 
throw food at her. She just, that's when she was going to put her fucking foot down. You know? Yeah. So I don't she know. Really I did take a beating, didn't she? Yeah. Uh, I think D and D was the turning point for her where she was like, she really did kind of like take two virtual shots of tequila and got into it because she just accepted, okay, this is it. This is my experience. Let's let it, let's let it rip. Yeah. I think that was her personal, you know, everyone has a personal struggle. It seems like when they compete on the show, I feel like Madeline's was that humility. It was like, she didn't want to be, made to look foolish totally. or you know and, and it was odd because she'll jump out of a plane or do this or do that she doesn't give a shit but that for some reason triggered her and mm-hmm. i think overcoming that and having that happen you could immediately see the next week she was different and mm-hmm. i think better honestly yeah mm-hmm. yeah one of the things i wish all of the competitors would accept from the beginning and maybe it's just an impossible thing to ask until you you get to know us and you're on the set and you get it is to trust us a little bit Mm -hmm. us, the Boulay brothers, us, the production, because we've never put anyone in front of the camera and tried to like diminish their drag character or, or make clowns of their art or anything like Mm -hmm. that. We, we in fact do the opposite. So, but I think they come in and they're just not sure. And it's definitely like a vulnerable position to be in. So I mean, I kind of get it, but I just wish we could skip that part. The next question is a question for all of you. Have you ever wanted to murder any of the contestants in real life? And if so, when and why? And we'll start with Ian. Uh, I would say the answer is yes, all the time. And all 30 of them at different (laughs) points. Um, Everyone? Um, I'm le- I'm looking at the at the wall right now. We have like uh, the cast composite photos up on the wall of the office here, and yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like <laughs> like it, you know, I I think that sometimes I'm kind of the first line of defense when it comes yeah. to you know like bullshittery from yeah. competitors or you know like fair complaints too. But you know, I often kind of have to you know field their questions or do whatever, and every once in a while I'm like gosh, I know that you're just like looking after yourself, but I'm going to fucking strangle you. Just leave me the fuck alone and get in front of the camera. But no, I, I truly do love a lot of them. A lot of them. Uh-huh. What about you, Casey? Yeah, I think I probably wanted to kill Dolly when she said she wanted to go home, basically, because like my job is to get a competitor to open up. And that's the one thing people don't want to do is open up and be vulnerable on camera. Yeah. So that was really frustrating for me. And then also, I think I probably wanted to kill maybe Dahlia just because she kept trying to smoke my jewel all season. (laughs) I was like, girl, these pods are expensive. (laughs) Wow. Love you, gal. (laughs) What about you, Nathan? Um, The first thing that comes to mind is season two, Wasteland Weekend. You know, this was shortly after the competitor, uh, like, makeup tent aka the boudoir for that episode blew away <laughs> and you know gust of wind came along and literally blew the tent away and james majesty uh decided that she wasn't a competitor anymore she was the director of the show <laughs> spill the tea and uh <laughs> you know she just decided to uh start giving orders and you know it it was definitely like uh a moment where i uh, i was not prepared for it and it was the first time it had happened on this on set and uh yeah i was about to challenge her to the uh to a match in the thunderdome it was pretty uh it's pretty aggravating. You're pretty good about not like getting, I guess, like big or loud with the competitors. Like, I think even kind of going back to the Madeline thing, like she calls you Mr. Business because I think you're like the way that the competitors perceive you is like you're all business and you don't really, you know, you don't kiki with them. You're kind of removed from them. So when you do have to square off with them, I think 
it kind of does like put fear in their hearts a little bit. They're like, Ooh, dad is mad. <laughs> yeah, it's the quiet. It's your quiet nature. I think, you know, you don't mm. know what's going on behind those eyes because you don't talk very much in the work environment. You know, we talk to you behind the scenes, but as far as what the competitors see, they see nothing. Mm-hmm. I think that's almost like Drac and I have that dynamic a little bit too, because Drac will voice her opinions kind of freely, you know, and I will just kind of take a backseat. But if I object, if I come in and object, that kind of sends people's, you know, the hair on the back of their neck up. They're like, oh, you know, Swan's saying something like, what, this is, this looks bad, you know? (laughs) Um, So, you know, kind of in the same vein, do you think um, characteristically, are there any types of contestants that maybe don't work very well for the Dragula format? I would say there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. One is I feel like people who are like overly serious about themselves, their image and their art, I feel like are not a good fit for the show. Like we obviously want, you know, artists and creatives who, who, you know, they, they love what they do and they respect themselves. But if you can't laugh at yourselves as well, like I feel like that's kind of a fatal flaw and you get people on the show who are afraid to open up on camera or who, you know, they, they make like really goofy, weird choices because they're unwilling to kind of like meld themselves to the challenge. Yeah. People with their walls, like, built too high and they won't let you in and i get it it's hard like you just met me and i'm over here and like tell me about when you were five and is what's going on in your life you know what i mean yeah. like people who don't want to open up and be honest and be willing to put the work in like not just in their drag but in like just them you know it's like the show really does kind of like break you down to like build you back up and you come out stronger if you kind of just let it yeah, if you if you go through the the machine, if you're kind of kicking and screaming and won't go in the oven, then we can't bake you. <laughs> yeah. You have to die a different way. <laughs> okay, so I guess piggybacking a little bit off of what Ian said, I think when uh, a contestant or a competitor comes in and their expectations for how a TV show works or or what reality TV is don't you know don't really align. You know, I think those are the types of competitors that end up not really succeeding on the show because I think they tend to look at uh, they tend to look at the crew as enemies almost sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in that way, you know, they set themselves up for failure. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think there is a big difference between you know all, while we are showcasing their art, there's a big difference between a competitor who looks at their, their art or their drag, like a Marina Abramovich, like performance art piece at the MoMA rather than like, we are making a TV show and ultimately this is supposed to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. And I think when they don't understand that, they just, they just, they fail. It's odd because you know what you're signing up for. You Mm -hmm. know, there's, there's a few seasons out. People know exactly what they're, what they're doing. So it's kind of like if you can say, okay, this is my art and maybe it doesn't necessarily fit the show perfectly, but I'm going to go give it my all and then benefit however I can from the show on the other side. That seems like a more healthy way to go about it. I don't understand why you would make that decision once you get on set and then you're like, oops. You know, it's like yeah. a little late at that point, you know? I think people sometimes get, uh, I think maybe Nathan or KC said it, they get a little scared, I think. You know, people think that they are one thing and then they get there and they're confronted with, you know, uh, 10 plus people they've never met. They're in a competition setting and suddenly it is, it, it's go time. And I think that they can get a little confused. It's like, wait, what am I doing? Who am I? What's my drag like? What? Oh, what do I say? And they just, I don't know, it kind of freaks them out. I always want to lean in through the curtain on day one with a cigarette and be like, listen, bitch, one of you is getting thrown out of the 
airplane in like two hours. So get your shit together. <laughs> you better make it count now. <laughs> um, so on that, you know, kind of going off of that last question, a lot of people are writing in and asking uh, all of your advice on the auditions for season four. So what advice would you give a hopeful applicant that might help them get on the show? I guess I have two things. Um, one would be, like, it, it doesn't necessarily matter about, like, the quality of your video. If, if you shine through as a character or your personality comes through that audition tape, we will 100% love you for it. You know what I mean? If you're trying to, like, walk the runway and be serious and, like, not give us any personality, like, guess what? We still don't know you. We could have scrolled your Instagram. If you show us an audition tape where you're, like jiggling your titties and like doing some weird ass shit and we get to know you we'll love you also the monologue is a key thing for me a lot of people like read it the same way my advice when doing a monologue read it once however you read it do exactly the opposite you know what i mean it's always the i killed so and so i did richard's back i'm like pretend you're talking to a fucking can of like vegetables you know what i mean like give some (laughs) fucking personality or Pretend something you are different. a can of vegetables yeah <laughs> like tomato soup given a monologue trust us it sounds weird but people have done it i think that's what disasterina did in her audition <laughs> <laughs> so what about you nathan what's your can of vegetables <laughs> uh, oh god i mean when i watch audition tapes the first thing i like to see is ultimately it's courage i mean if i had to if i had to pick one um there are a couple that stand out to me, but Violencia's yeah. audition tape when she was in the Wendy's, uh, I just I felt like that was ultra punk. That was a, a sign. It was an indicator that she knew what show she was auditioning for. Yeah, and I think that is that is so important because you know you got to know what your target audience is right. And you know, yeah, you, you want to know what target you're shooting at. If you plan on getting a bullseye. Right. And, and Valencia definitely did. And we've talked about this before that segment, her going into Wendy's and just being like a total clown in there is what got her cast. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would just add, you know, my, my favorite audition tape. Uh, I think it touches on the courage and it also touches on the, just, being unhinged and strange and a, a fucking ghoul would be Abora's. Oh, you stole mm, my new yeah. bitch. When, <laughs> when she was Abora's audition tape, when she was in the woods and uh, you know, it came, it came down to the end of that, of that segment. I, I mean, my jaw was, you know, on the floor. It was, that was a crazy audition tape. One of my favorites for listeners who don't know what we're talking about or haven't seen it. Abora styled part of her audition tape as a found footage horror film. And it was like in the woods and it was truly horrifying. Like I think, you know, the five of us were watching it and we all were just like, Oh my God, it was, it was really scary. It looked like a snuff film. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I would say my, my things for people who are planning on auditioning, like Casey said, you know, be authentic, be yourself. Um, We can kind of tell instantly if you're not, being real just just be you because ultimately that's who we want to cast i do think that you know you don't have to have the best production in the world you don't have to have the best editing or whatever but those things do kind of count it lets us know that you care enough to you know uh hi put up a backdrop or like have good lighting or have something um so that's something that i like but i would say my biggest thing is try to make the audition 
videos infused with your own drag character. Like the audition is an extension of your drag character. And someone whose I really love was Erica Clash. Uh, hers started out with this kind of like almost like uh, demented Pokemon thing where it was like a wild Erica Clash appeared and there was just like video game references and the whole thing and it really cemented for me. I was like, oh my God, I know exactly who Erica Clash is as an artist, as a character, and I loved it. It sold me on her. I think that kind of branding is important because we are into that. We're into like 2D kind of characters. Like we want it to be easily translatable. Who are you? And we want to know who it is within a minute. I also think you guys have already mentioned this too, is don't try to produce a character and act like that character. That is the absolute worst thing you can do. I always feel like it's like, like if you're a little goofy or you fuck up or you make mistakes, like that's fun. That's what we want to know. We don't want someone that's perfect. Perfect is boring. Yeah. And also like do it how your character would. Like I feel like eight out of 10 audition videos are in a trash can. And I'm like, <laughs> come on. Like the, the other two that didn't do it in a trash can did some type of original like idea that is suited to them and like really was creative, like get creative with it. Yeah. I have one more thing and this is just a, it's just a big, like don't if you can. Um, I don't know what it is about our show, but everyone or a lot of people who audition seem to think that we're all like really big stoners or that like we all kind of vibe on like weed. So there's a lot of videos where people are just lighting up a blunt or like, I don't know, doing just doing stuff where they're just smoking weed. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. If you smoke weed, that's fine. But I literally don't care. Yeah, it's like weird. it's not punk. To it's not to, cool. Yeah, to like, try yeah. to smoke weed as if you're rebel. I'm like, are you 16? I'm like, also, we live in LA. It legal. Exactly. Here. This I'm is like, no longer yeah. punk. <laughs> my pet peeve with people, I think, that want to be on the show, and this is my advice for anyone who might want to try out, is when they try to become friends with other competitors that have been on the show or people that work on this show. To me, I'm like, that is the most fatal mistake you yeah. can make. If you go and you try to like talk to everyone that's been on the show and become friends with them and start tagging them and everything and showing up in all these pictures, I'm like, you're never getting on the show. Like you really just don't even send the audition tape in. That's my advice to people. Do not do that because you know, they go and they try to figure out all this stuff so that if they get cast, they're like, I know what I'll do and I'll do this when they do that. I'm like, don't, you're out. Like you immediately will not get cast because you're producing your experience. We want their raw reaction to these yeah. things. So that's a, I mean, I think that's a common thread through a lot of these comments, which is don't try to self-produce, just be yourself because yes. we, we will stand by you should you be cast. You know, there's a little bit of trust there between competitor and the production side. Um, but we don't want clones of previous competitors. Like Drac and I are building an army from like our own Legion of Doom. We want original characters that have like their own look and distinct style and character. You know, if you're a weirdo and you're genuinely unlike anyone else, then you have a better chance of getting cast than people that, you know, take notes and do all this like Inspector Clouseau type of shit to like, you know, try to get an edge. It doesn't work. We also want them to have their own voice. And I feel like when they sort of become part of the herd, they take on a herd mentality where they all like the same kind of stuff and they express themselves like this and their their show is this kind of flavor. And I hate that. I'm like, we want people that are independent thinkers that are punk and have like you know, spines of their own. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and on that note, uh, we're going to shift gears and talk about the Blade Brothers Dragula Resurrection. And for those of you listening who haven't watched it yet, it's our first spinoff of the Blade Brothers Dragula, and it is now streaming on Shudder. And it's blowing up and saving everyone's Halloween, in case you haven't seen or heard of it yet. A lot of people want to know how we picked the competitors that we chose for the special. Uh, we've talked about what our criteria was, but how did you guys go about choosing which stars to return to the show? 
Well, I, I think for me, the most important thing, and, the, you know, resurrection is a new format for us. It's not, we don't really have a boudoir. We don't have a, you know, the segments change. So, you know, most of resurrection is comprised of interviews. So to me, I, it's, it was ultra important that we had competitors on the show who had a lot of personality, who were funny, who had interesting things to say, who had rich stories, you know, because I think that is kind of the underlying, like, driving force of the special. Absolutely, yeah. The story was very important. I was also interested in to to catch up on people's lives. Like, Frankie has definitely changed, you know, and she's still, like, funny, cracks me up. But, you know, all the prosthetic stuff was completely new. And it was just interesting to to learn about Frankie a little, you know, Frankie down. <laughs> and, the, and the evolution, really, because it's been a few years specifically with Frankie. Yeah, I, I kind of agree, like the evolution. I, I was looking at competitors from previous seasons who, not that it was like a requirement that like, hi, your drag has changed like a crazy amount. Like Dali, for example, uh, their drag has, I mean, completely morphed. But it was cool to see, you know, how have you evolved? How have you grown? Have you taken the time in between your season to really like hone your craft? Are you a different kind of monster? And also just people who, I don't know, who are supportive and who are cool to work with. Like you said, Nathan, it was, we spent so much personal time with these people. I feel like we kind of set out to be like, okay, who has great personalities? Who who do we really like want to showcase? But also who is good to work with? You know, it's a different format. And, you know, we kind of could say, you know what? I love Priscilla. Like we always have a good time with her. Like, is she a good fit for the show? And that's kind of, I think a place where I could come from and start. I think that's totally valid. And I, I even kind of want to string that to what we were just talking about a minute ago, as far as like who we look to cast on seasons to come. This is a family, you know, ultimately we're looking for ways like Drac and I are looking for ways not to just expand and pump out season after season. We want to go back and, give every opportunity we can to people who've already been on the show in previous seasons. Like we feel like all of them have the potential to win when they're cast in their season. We kind of look at them as like an extension of our family, maybe not in our drag family specifically, but you know, they, we, we love and care about them and we don't want dicks around us. Like if you're an <laughs> asshole, like and I find out your personality is trash. Like you're, you're not going to go very far. I, like we like to celebrate good people is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think KC frequently wants dicks around him. Oh, so. no, I, I, 100%. <laughs> I, I do. I will, I will always, anytime uh, we're thinking of a project, I'm like, Madeline, <laughs> she cracks me up. She, all she has to do is smile and I'm, I'm giggling on the floor. She just cracks me up. I would, I would say like 99% of the people that have been on the show are not dicks, yeah, right? I mean, totally. I think we we like all, and even the ones that are challenging, it's not that we don't like them or we would never use them for anything. It's just, it's not right for this format. You know, one of the things that I think I was personally looking for are competitors who left the show with a question mark. Like their stories were kind of unfinished, you know? Like to me, Loris going home when she did, and that was years ago. Like, as a fan and a viewer of the show, I'd be like, what happened to her? Like, what, what does she think now? What happened after that? Because she left under such weird circumstances. Same thing with Dali. I'm like, I always would be like, what the fuck happened with Dali? And I feel like most of them either had that or, I mean, even Saint, you know? Like, Saint came in so strong, we all were like, oh my God, Saint might win. And then you're like, 
what happened? Saint got the set and like Madeline like ate her up and spit her out, you know? So I felt like it was in, in, you know, it also Kendra just to talk about, I mean, all of them, honestly, I feel like Kendra left on that weird note too, with the whole rehearsal thing with Mm -hmm, the band and it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, what happened with that? So I felt like those things were, were interesting reasons to bring those particular people back. Yeah, for sure. So for listeners at home who haven't read about this yet, the five of us here on the podcast basically jumped in a giant production van and we threw a bunch of equipment and drove across country and filmed the resurrection special during a pandemic between a few hurricanes and basically had to endure a bunch of other weird circumstances. Uh, Once we hit the road and started, were you ever like, this was a bad idea? Personally, no, I guess. I mean, I think that the, like, for me, pre-production is the hardest part of, of production. Um, you know, it's, I'm very, very, like, I'm very involved in pre-production and there just are a lot of kind of like my nervous energy can get the best of me very easily. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to be filming for this many days straight and we're going to be in the van and oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But then once we're there, it's kind of like the ball is already rolling. You might as well just like hop on top. Um, I know Casey's not used to that. Uh, Dr. Seuss over here. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I did think I really, once we were done with the Los Angeles leg of things, there was that first day where we got in the van and we started driving and it took us, I mean, for whatever reason, it took us like 10 hours to get to Arizona. I was like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> like, is it all going to be like this? And it wasn't like, there were definitely high moments or low moments. It was truly an experience I would never forget. Totally. Did you you ever feel like that? Like, this is a bad idea. Like, were you ever like, why are we doing this? Never. For some reason, even though I'm like such a nervous, like neurotic person, like I fucking love chaos. It's like, oh, we got a flat tire. I'm like, oh my God, yes. (laughs) I love when things go off the rails. Like when we didn't plan for shit, like I'm like, what are we going to do? How are we going to solve it? Like, I love that shit. What about you, Nathan? Well, you know, on paper, it's like, okay, there's a, there's a pandemic, you know, we're driving through, uh, you know, parts of the country that, you know, may not respond well to us during these crazy political times. So on paper, yes, I feel like, you know, there are some, you could argue that maybe it was a bad idea, but, uh, I agree. (laughs) I think, I think there were definitely some like highlights to it, you know, like Myrtle beach was, was, ultra beautiful i mean even down to that truck stop in uh even down to that truck stop in uh outside of phoenix when we were all picking which knives we were gonna buy you know know, there are a lot of special moments but you know i it's hard when you're doing it but then when you're done it's kind of like thank god we stuck with it and you know thank god you know thank god we made it because at the end at the end of the day like it was ultra rewarding, obviously, and uh, we made a, a amazing product. So yeah, it was even sad for a moment when we basically said goodbye to you and KC. Like we had to, we basically for listeners, we had to put them on a plane and get them from Tennessee back to LA to start the editing process while Drac. Ian and myself drove the van the rest of the way home. And it was like, I felt like we were like breaking up our family. I'm like, you got to be careful, you guys. Totally. You know, it was like we had, we had been through the thick and thin for like weeks and weeks. And, you know, it was like breaking up the band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and just so everyone knows, the editing process began a few moments after Casey and I got through security at that same airport. So um, I, The editing process began as soon as it was done uploading from the camera. I was in the van editing. Oh, that's true. With the generator. Yeah. <laughs> I don't ever think 
that, I was like, this is a bad idea. But I will say, I didn't tell my family that we were doing it until we were like 75% of the way done. I called my mom. And I was like, hey, <laughs> guess where I am? She's like, where are you? I was like, I'm in Florida. She's like, why are you in Florida? I was like, well, I didn't want you to worry. So, you know, I didn't tell you any of these details. Because totally. um, like you said, Nathan, on paper, it's crazy. I mean, truly, I, I think it also, it takes... It, you know, it takes a village to make the show, but it also takes like a village of just like absolute crazy people to make it. Like none of yeah, us are really sane. I didn't tell my family either. <laughs> they <laughs> drove like, right past them too. <laughs> that's the. W- I think everybody did. Everyone yeah. drove right past their family. And we're like, sorry guys, bye dad. <laughs> um, well, especially and now it's a, even a little easier. But when we were filming this, COVID was like hardcore like everywhere was locked down there were certain cities remember we weren't even allowed to go to because of how locked down it was so it was a little scarier than i think telling anybody we were doing it would have just uh invited them to try to talk us out of it yeah what that being said what was the scariest moment of the whole trip for you guys I think for me, it didn't involve me. It involved you guys because at the time it was the height of the summer peak and I didn't want you to fly, you know, and I knew it was just it was just a a, a byproduct of the of the mechanism of like deadlines and we have to get back and they have to get back and, the, you know, renting computers and all those kind of things. And I was just like flying wasn't really something that people were really talking about doing. The airlines were still like a little bit dicey with how they were going about handling COVID. So I just felt like ultra responsible for your experience. So, I, you know, for me, that was probably the, the hardest and the scariest thing. I think for me, it was again, along the lines of COVID. I, I think I was, we were in the gift shop at Cracker Barrel. And um, <laughs> I just remember there were a lot of, people there uh, without masks yeah. and it it just it was the first time we had really left our our bubble of LA and uh since the pandemic had started and so it was almost like a shock to see how a lot of the rest of the country is you know how how they perceive the pandemic how they treat the pandemic and you know i i remember i don't know how many bottles of hand sanitizer we went through how many masks we had face shields but yeah i think that was the hardest part for me because there are all these little like other strange things like things being closed and like only being able to eat fast food on the on the on the trip you know like it's just i don't know i think the pandemic is really what made the trip the hard you know that was the hardest part there was like an ambient tension almost the whole time for Mm -hmm. sure yeah the hardest thing for me honestly was being in like georgia with huge spiders like that shit scared me the most spider i forgot sounds so trivial but honestly like i fucking hate spiders and every (laughs) season of dragula i come face to face with giant fucking spiders what about when we sent that box of spiders to your house (laughs) you sent okay the box of spiders that land and eats in like the beginning of season three why were they shipped to my house i don't know Ian? <laughs> uh, I think it's because you lived closest to where we were filming. Um, and you also, no, you had you had a door person who could safely make sure that our eight-legged friends. Yeah, and then you were it. like, we need to make sure they're alive. Please open them <laughs> and look at the spiders. And then I became friends with them and I named one. And, and I was sad when they got eaten. So I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> oh That's God. the new spinoff. I think it was a little scary when Ian was driving 
and almost slid into that car and killed all of us. That's the moment that scared me. Okay, well, don't make it seem like it was like 100% my fault. (laughs) No, it wasn't your fault. Actually, your defensive driving technique really saved our ass, I think. Ooh. I loved how everyone in the van was silent during those, like, (laughs) sheer, those, like, five seconds of sheer terror, except for Drac, who was like, no. Because like, we're in slow motion, barreling towards the car in front of us. We're all just like, oh, a C stand's going to go right to my fucking skull. Yeah. That's okay. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, because I, I immediately in my head played out this whole scenario. I was like, here we are on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Some of us are dead. It's raining. All our shit's all over the street. The production Some is of us are destroyed. Dead. Totally. Yeah. I was like, wow, great. I all of that, too. In like yep. those couple of seconds, it was like the Matrix. Like, it was like, like all those calculations were being made. I was like, no. You mentioned the the fast food, so I wanted to ask you guys, uh, how much weight did you gain from eating nothing but road food for weeks? <laughs> I thought I was going to lose weight on this trip. I swear oh I did. I was like, oh my God, we're only eating at fast food. Like, I'll always get the healthy option. <laughs> um, no, I have some weight to lose for sure. <laughs> I weighed in today, and uh, Adam, my husband, was like, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, the diet starts now, and I was like, absolutely, 100%, it does. Um, so, yeah, uh, but I guess that would be the hardest part of the trip was the weight gain. <laughs> Do you ever wonder if Ian is trying to fetishize you and make you gain weight? Like, you know, he has a thing about making people gain weight and not shave, so I was wondering if you felt victimized by him on this trip. I don't wonder that. I know that. <laughs> He straight up has told me before and has offered to like get like a dessert and split it with me and then not eat his side. It's like the trickery because I feel like everyone in my life is doing this to me. Oh my God. I just want everyone around me to be happy. You know, I'm not happy when I'm fat. (laughs) Not yet. Oh my God. I don't know. I think my kink is getting objectified. So that's fine with me. (laughs) Love it. Moving on. Was there ever a moment where you were like, what the fuck are we doing Like in a particular scene? Because we would stay up really late and it would get goofy and we'd start doing weird shit. Like, did you ever feel like, this is so stupid, Like, this scene is really dumb? I think that our wildest uh, thoughts, ideas, and decisions come from, we'll do these like, I mean, truly like eight hour mind melt meetings. And by the end, I mean, we're like, okay, let's feed them Ipecac. They'll all vomit on themselves. <laughs> and then we'll punch them through a window. Amazing. Write it down. Write it down. Write it down. And then we get together the next meeting. We're like, okay, everyone, let's backtrack a little bit. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think? During the during the trip, I mean, everything was. I guess I got to bring it to the floor shows. I mean, the every floor show, twenty one individual locations, and you know, I think for me, when we were filming, not during, but like after, when we were filming Saints witch in the in the kind of like the swamp off that river Mm -hmm. yeah and i think you know where i'm going with this um but the horror of knowing that either ian or i back to the spiders tracked that giant spider back into the airbnb and then we found it in the washing machine later and it was the size of like 
don't know, sand dollars. Oh, yeah. It was huge. Huge. And it was alive. So it rode one of you from the swamp <laughs> back to the house, sat on you for however long you sat in those clothes because you didn't take them off immediately. Yep. Put it in the wash, washed it, and it was still alive. I mean, this was a spider that if you were if you were just Stop dead it. silent, dead silent, you could hear it walking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. it was a nightmare. That spider's actually auditioning for season four. <laughs> Great. It was so big, they literally just showed me a photo of it, and I started crying. Like that's how <laughs> pathetic I am. I started crying in the corner. I, I just <clears throat> <laughs> so here we go as a follow up. Um, is there anyone on the cast that you feel like you would personally like to see on the show in a resurrection style? Like someone who wasn't on this iteration of resurrection. Let's say we did another version of it in the future. Is there another uh, monster from the Dragula seasons one, two or three that you'd like to see on the next resurrection? I have a short list of people. I think there are a couple who we just couldn't make happen. Um, you know, like we said, COVID made things very, very complicated. And I really wish that we could have gone to New York. Um, we have, now we have three monsters who live in New York, but currently, or at the time it was, we had Madeline Hatter. We also had Erica clash. And when we started really thinking about the production, New York just was not viable. And we're like, you know, I really, I love Madeline. Like, I think we kind of all love Madeline. She's so funny. And we just, you know, someone we couldn't touch. Um, there are other people who I think are great and really like someone who stands out to me is Eva destruction. I feel like she changed a lot during the show. And even after the show, like her drag has, really just evolved and changed. And after touring with her, I was like, oh, I love this bitch. Like, I feel like she has a good story and I would love to hear it on, on a resurrection format. I think, yeah, I would like to see Eva too, just because I'm interested to know her day to day. But I guess the one I really want to know what their day to day is like is I got to know what Dahlia does every day. <laughs> like, when she would just show up on set and just be like, hey, gal, so I'm just going over to the supermarket real fast. I just got to get some cigs and like a Red Bull. I'm just like, what? I just want to know what your day-to-day <laughs> life is like. Like, just, I just want to follow you around and be a fly on the wall and just see, see what your life's like. Gotcha. What about you, Nathan? Oh, geez. There's uh, 30 to pick from. But, you know, I think, yeah, Eva would be great. I think, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, an interesting – competitor from the beginning i think everyone can agree is you know abora Mm -hmm. you know if if resurrection 2 ever comes along you know i think showcasing abora's art in that in this kind of light i think is just you know you know and she's a fucking psychopath so i feel like (laughs) it should be very interesting in uh in uh interview style you know type format also, I think that there is something just to touch on Abora as well. You know, the way that we filmed the floor shows this time is obviously very different than in the regular seasons. You know, we it's a different it's like you said, it's 21 floor show locations. It's a different location and a different look for each person for each of their floor shows. And Abora has the capacity to really turn out some just crazy stuff that I don't think we could really do in the standard format of the show. Like if we really had the mm-hmm. time to sit down and be like, okay, where does your ghost live or your vampire or wherever? Like, I don't know. I just, I imagine the footage from it and I'm gag mama. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, you know, we began obsessing over some of the competitors dialogue while on this trip, you know, kind of like behind <laughs> the scenes and like in the van. And of course, as we always do, we started like parroting, parroting a lot of their one liners and stuff through the trip. So what sentences got the most play for you guys? 
that we said in the van and stuff. You know, that like, we would repeat. I can't remember now what, what they were. Do you remember? What they- I mean, obviously, we walked around for like 90 days being like, I'm that bitch. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Yeah, I'm that bitch was definitely the big one. I mean, I kind of feel like the big like internal memes happened when we were editing. Um, but... Uh, oh, I mean, Frankie's, um, I, don't know, was, I don't think it got quoted a ton, but I just remember all of us being like gagged when she was like, I'm an only child. Well, oh, I have a sister. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, <laughs> so funny. good. Oh, a- another Frankie Doom one. She's like, uh, oh, I'm such a fat bitch. I got to walk up these. In this uh, oh, that was it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we watched that like over a hundred times. <laughs> said a lot that yeah, didn't Kenza. get into the episode. Um, like she likes uh, her wigs like she likes her dick or something like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. I like my wigs like I like my dick straight and, and long, long, long yeah. and straight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, Kendra had a, a good plethora of just one-liners. Kendra is so funny and I, she's I feel like when we kind of sat down to like be like who are we going to cast like I feel like we all kind of said Kendra. Oh 100% mm-hmm. yeah. Like, you know I mean of the uh, this is like a weird look into my life um, I have like a collection of gifts from the show they're just kind of like saved my phone and one of the earliest ones is season two episode one Kendra cobbling a shoe she just turns I need to know the real Tia Bora and I just, I always, I'll just pull it out like anytime you need to have the receipts pull it out I wanted her to make make it so much further on her season because we all do know how funny she is and I'm like oh my god I want people to get to know you better and it just yeah. didn't fall you know it wasn't in the cards but maybe this is why right this format was very uh complimentary to her I think yeah um I would, you know, considering the question we just asked, I would like to hold a Loris laugh off. So uh, <laughs> when I call your name, I'd like you to give me your best Loris witch cackle. And we'll start with KC. It's a good one. Okay. All right. Uh, Nathan, you're next. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a non-traditional one that's right i took it to my own place i love that i love that <laughs> i mean my favorite loris laugh is not from her witch but i'll i'll do i'll do her witch one <laughs> we love you loris so good. no it's true she she like uh, cackled her way into the beginning of every floor show. I think mm-hmm. it felt like all three segments ended with Loris cackling, and we that is a that is a love letter to Loris's cackle. Oh my place. god! For yeah, her, the third creative, the vampire creative, did not end with the Loris laugh, and I was like, damn, I wish it had <laughs> the vampire one. Wasn't it one oh, of them? They all end with Loris. Yeah, they all I did that on purpose because I went. I felt like she deserved those comedy beats. Like the oh. first one is I'm that witch bitch, and the second one is like the muah, and the third one's. Like, Yes. <laughs> oh She's so funny to me. I love her. I okay. do too. I want that to be my ringtone so bad. Oh, it already is mine. <laughs> I just want to say, like, I one of the it wasn't sur- like super surprising, but obviously, you know, the the show is we've been working on this project for almost over four years now, and you know, Loris has been kind of a part of our lives for that entire time, even longer. Um, like working with Loris was really fun. And I feel like Loris is kind of hysterical. Like, Me I don't too. know. I don't know if she think. I don't know if she gets her own comedy, but I find Loris to be like 
one of the funniest people we have on the cast. Like I, I could watch an entire show of Loris. I love it. I wanted to just like lean into it. That's the thing. Totally. I'm like, you just yeah. got to own it and be like, this is me. I don't give a fuck. Lean into it. I'm that know? bitch. I'm that bitch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so who won the Loris laugh off? Um, we're all winners in this house. Oh. No, we're not. <laughs> Who won the last? I'm going to give it to Casey. Okay. Yes, well, congrats, say, Casey. Thanks, guys. I only watched that clip like ninety thousand times. <laughs> Nathan, if you really want, we'll do a post-credit scene uh, where you come back to life for the uh, Loris laugh. Oh. Promise. Oh. I already did my Loris laugh on the last episode True. that I didn't realize was going to fucking make it onto the episode. So. <laughs> Um, so, okay. So some of the competitors, when they get on the show, they try to kind of put on an act when we're filming and they pull all this crazy shit when they think the cameras and audio off. So I wanted to ask you guys, are there any moments that you feel like viewers at home didn't get to see from any of the seasons that really impacted the final outcome of the show? All of season three. There was a lot that happened. Yeah, yeah. it was unfortunate. I knew even some of the competitors will tell me to this day, like, you need cameras here, here, and here, because you, you missed everything, basically. And yeah. I was like, I know. It's just hard. Um, we can't, we didn't, unfortunately, have cameras on them at all times. And, like, that was when, like, all the juicy stuff would happen. And, like, sometimes we'd walk in halfway with the camera, but then a lot of the stuff would be out of context. And the viewers are like, why, is they, why are they mad? Or, what, you know what I mean? And it's like... <laughs> Well, you missed the beginning, you know? Um, But sometimes I think we got smart towards the end of the season. And I was just like, always had a camera ready. And was just like, surprise! (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking narratively, I feel like season one, uh, and this goes back to Loris again. Yeah. That that was an issue. Because I feel like people didn't understand why the other competitors weren't gelling with Loris. But it seemed like she would put on a certain character and then when the cameras would stop, she would like do things to antagonize them. Or at least that's what they would tell us. And so I think that kind of changed the narrative a little bit for season one. People were like, why are they so mad at Loris? And I think that's why, right? Like the whole allergic reaction thing and everything, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that people at home didn't get to see that. What do you guys I think? I think there was a little bit of a pack mentality in, you know, in the the backstage area of season one, too. Like, Loris, maybe her character was not gelling with the other girls. And I think that there was a lot of, like, whispering and, like, talking shit going on and maybe even a little bit of bullying going on. And when we only got to see the aftermath of that when they were on stage. And we asked, like, well, who do you think should go home? And right. I don't know if it necessarily had everything to do with her drag because I think it might have had a little bit more to do with her personality. And we didn't really have real boudoirs. It was literally like, we're filming for 10 minutes. So like, it's so easy to be nice during those 10 minutes right. filming. And then when we're setting up for a different shot, then that's when all the real shit happens. Yeah. You know? And yeah. we learned over the seasons to just never stop recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I there were a couple of things that happened, I guess, most notably. And again, it's uh, a, a Loris thing. And I don't know how much it really impacted any decisions made in terms of Loris, but she had that allergic reaction on season one. And then she had that eye infection during resurrection after Mm -hmm. the witch four show, her sclera like totally, you know, screwed up her eye and it, you know, we were kind of juggling schedules and we were on the phone trying to figure out like, can we even film, you know, her next floor show when her, does she need to go to the hospital? You know what I mean? And, I mean, it, it's funny. It's the second time that's happened in uh, the history of Dragula production where, 
you know, a competitor has gotten an eye infection and they ended up with an eye patch that ultimately, in my opinion, <laughs> elevated their look. Yes, it does. Uh, so, you know, um, Hawkeye yeah. viewers can uh, scan the meter monsters of all the seasons and figure out who we're talking about for the second one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I think it, it actually elevated their looks. Yeah. yeah. I would say for me, the the off-camera thing, it's almost kind of the opposite of what we're talking about with season one in Loris, um, where there's like drama that happens off screen. For me, it's conflict resolution. And, you know, I think that, you know, being on reality TV is hard. You know, like I, I've never been in front of the camera for reality TV, so I can't speak to that. But I, I would imagine that, you know, if you, you get into a fight with someone on day one, and then, you know, you like, okay, cut. And then everyone goes on ice. You're not allowed to talk. And you kind of have this desire. You're like, oh, God, I really want to, like, make up with this person. But then if you do off camera, which a lot of people try to do on the show, you know, we get back on camera. And it's like, okay, let's pick back up where you were really mad with this person. Oh, we're good. Well, the audience doesn't know that. So, you know, it, it makes everyone's lives difficult. Everyone's jobs harder. It just makes no sense. Like, to a viewer, if you're just like, I hate you, bitch. Like, go die. And then the next day, it's like, <sighs> We are so fine. Like, we're like best friends. Like, the viewer's like, what the fuck? How? Why? I want to know. I want to know. Of course. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like people to know about Resurrection that they might not have learned from watching the show? I think for me, and I guess just to talk about the five of us again, I mean, that's why we're here, right? Um, You know, the majority of the show was produced and filmed and edited and and directed by the five of us. You know what I mean? Where the show is so like the span and the scope of the show. I mean, we go coast to coast and like we said, there are 21 individual floor shows, 21 looks, um, hours of interviews to scour through. I just, uh, I want people to know at the end of the day that when they watch us, it isn't like, a massive production company that made this happen. It was basically, you know, a, a rogue team that like d- drove across the country with a couple cameras and, you know, the lighting equipment and the stands and dragged that shit through the desert and through water and over rivers and on mountains and just like <laughs> made it fucking happen. And you know what I mean? And I feel like this is just to say like being here right now and talking about this with the four of you is is really special because it's so rare that the people behind the scenes get to like not be behind the scenes, you know? So yeah, I I guess that's what I would want people to know is that, you know, this product that you love is really the blood, sweat and tears of a very small group of people. It's true. Let's say it again. (laughs) (laughs) No, one thing I also wanted to point out kind of in that vein too, it's something that, you know, the five of us are ultimately responsible for too, even in previous seasons is the soundtrack to the show because people love the music. They love the musical choices. They love the floor show sounds. They love the in-betweens like everything. And even some of the sounds that we hear and we've heard over and over through season three, and they made it even into the resurrection special. They've become part of like the tapestry of the show. It's the soundtrack. It's what I hear when I think of Dragula and a lot of people really praise the soundtrack. And I think that that's just testament to our, you know, our high quality choices in music. And a lot of it, a lot of it we engineer ourselves too. Like Nathan, you, you know, you'll take some tracks that we decide on and like kind of build the soundscape. And it's just another aspect of like our hands all over the final product. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do love the sound effects. I like uh, have like these own like while editing these own little stories of like what I think's going on that I feel <laughs> like people would never catch. But like I create this like almost like internal narrative of like sound effects of like when anytime someone says something cunty like swing like um, anytime someone's doing this like growl dog bark and I know them all by name like dark <laughs> FX one sixty nine would be perfect here. <laughs> Please do not forget ghostly breath with reverb. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the next Loris laugh off is the everyone do their ghostly breath reaver. <laughs> um for me, mine's a, a little more surface than Nathan's uh, kind of thing that I wish people knew. But I think something that's really fun for people who kind of like trivia and they like behind the scenes stuff is when you're watching the show, if there's ever a question of like, how did they do that? I can almost guarantee you the answer is one of the five of us laying on the ground doing something crazy. Like it's it's done practically. For example, when you look at Victoria's vampire yes. footage, which is so stunning. Like that footage looks amazing. And she has this coffin <laughs> that's standing up in the middle of this room. And you're like, wow, how do they do that? I am sta- like sitting behind the coffin. It's leaning on my back. I'm holding the fog machine. Like oh my fog. God. I don't have any fog juice. Wait, no, don't forget because in the first shot we were looking at the monitor. We're like, wait, Ian, just don't move. And I run in the other room and I grab a big piece of black fabric and I throw it over you completely because you can see you. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm also I'm certainly reminded that I was just like in a kneeling position with the coffin balanced on like the crown of my head, just like just film it, just go, just go, just go. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, those are the kind of things like even for like Loris's uh, Loris's vampire. Wow, there's all like vampire stories. Like you see these kind of like these swinging red lights, like. That's literally yeah. Swan holding a red light. Casey, me too, Swan yeah. and KC holding these red lights and swinging them. Like really like one of the big reasons I love our show is like our hands are all over it. We just love the show and we're all willing. We're all willing to do what it takes to get it done. Thank you, Kendra. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to thank you all uh, for being a part of this from day one and helping us like, you know, coming up with this all and making it happen. It's been like a really magical experience. I know we're kind of just getting started, as you all know, too, especially after recent developments. And we have a lot more to come. So I hope you guys get a nice sleep over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so I'm going to take into the next month off. <laughs> I'm checking myself into an institution. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's all the time we have for this episode we want to thank ian casey and nathan for being here and we want to thank our listeners for tuning in and remind anyone out there who hasn't watched it yet to watch the boule brothers dragula resurrection streaming now exclusively on amc's shutter we'll see you all next time and because everyone got to do it and i didn't i'll take you out this way yeah The Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night is hosted and produced by Drac Morda and Swanthula Boulay, along with co-host and producer Ian DeVogler, in association with Dread Central. Edited and mixed by Ernesto Hortada, with music by Neuron Spectre.